0: So let me ask you this first. What makes a scientist want to create a hip-hop-influenced podcast about genetics in Black folk?
1: Really, the idea came from people asking me questions. So there are some common questions people always ask me when they find out that I'm a geneticist. And the first thing is, it's like, are you cloning people? And then... (laughs) And that's like kind of more generic, like it doesn't it's not a certain group of people that are like, are you cloning people? That's like a universal question.
0: Right. Right.
1: From the black community specifically, it would be, you know, are those ancestry tests worth my time? Um, And are they real? And like all these different things. And so I feel like the pie class came from me just being day-to-day scientists and people from the community asking me questions about genetic or hearing conversations. Like a lot of people, I feel like genetics is one of those disciplines where we talk about it a lot at home, right? right. Like we just talk about your family. And I'm pretty sure at the kitchen, you know, the kitchen table, You know, you notice something that one of your sons done and you and your wife are like, okay, that's you. That's me. You know, like. Right, right. Essentially a genetics conversation. Every Thanksgiving people are like, oh, you look like grandma or you make this face like so and so, you know. And so genetics to me has always been closely connected to the community. But there seems to be a gap on like what people perceive genetics to be and what genetics actually is. Hmm. So I kind of started off by doing like public speaking. And then this competition from Spotify came up and I was like, okay, maybe I should do a podcast. You know, what should it be about? What should it sound like? I knew I wanted it to be for Black people, made for Black people with um, the Black community at the center of it. And the overall goal was kind of teaching genetics to educate ourselves because genetics is a field that is developing fast. Without proper education, you know, disadvantaged groups, historically disadvantaged or excluded groups would, you know, not, are not going to benefit from all of the the things that genetics can do. And so that's kind of how it started. Zero podcast experience, entered this Spotify competition, did the application the day it was due. 18,000 people applied. I was like, I ain't getting any. Right. (laughs) And then I did. And I was like, wow. Okay. And when I won, I was like, you know, I'm meant to do this. I'm supposed to be doing this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And everything else just kind of came together. And when I started at Spotify to kind of transition into the hip hop part, when I started at Spotify, everyone was telling me you can't have music in your podcast. You can't have music in your podcast. And so I was kind of discouraged by that. But then, you know, I was like, Why can't I have music in my podcast? Like, no, I can't play Jay-Z's album from start to finish throughout in the background. Right, (laughs) right. I can have hip hop. And there are plenty of independent, you know, beat makers and producers who would love to have their music on our show. So I worked with a music producer and we recreate kind of like hip hop songs in the back of the podcast that, you know, kind of aid to whatever, whatever song or whatever vision, whatever feeling we want the listeners to have.
0: I think that's dope. And I think a lot of people on the podcast side really don't think about, uh, the options they have. Right. Cause like you said, okay, yeah, there's a copyright hurdle that, you know, we would have to get over if you play your favorite hip hop tunes. Uh, but as you said, there are plenty of hip hop producers out there independently, um, whether it's for a fee or they just want the exposure, and they're willing to donate their music because you know they believe well obviously you believe in their production skills, but also uh, they believe this is a good fit for what they create. So, where are you originally from?
1: I am born and raised and was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I spent a very short period of time in Washington, D.C., where my mother is from, 18 years of my life in New Orleans. And then hmm. I left New Orleans for 18 years.
0: <laughs> for 18 years. oh,
1: Left New Orleans for 18 years, lived in Atlanta, lived in Nashville, lived in New York, and then came back to New Orleans.
0: Wow. Now... Those early years, because um, obviously this is the thing, right? This is a podcast about creatives. And obviously you not only saw a, a need for the subject matter for your podcast, which is called In Those Genes, for those who don't know, but it, it had to start somewhere. What was it like growing up in New Orleans back then for you? And were there any influences creatively? Uh, That may have led you to that point of um, having a podcast.
1: I don't know if I would say having a podcast per se, but like I'll talk about the different elements of like my childhood that kind of contributed to it. I came from a family that really loved music. Um, You know, my dad and all of his first cousins and brothers and sisters all played an instrument. Um, My grandparents, my dad's parents were really, really, you know, big I would say consumers of all art in general, Um, while they weren't artists themselves, they were always going to New York to see Broadway or seeing Broadway shows that were on tour and came to New Orleans. They were heavily into Negro, like spiritual opera, <laughs> you know like negro
0: spirituals <laughs> okay
1: like, I think it's just negro spirituals but they sound almost like opera singers like
0: opera okay
1: um i don't know if you've you've heard of it, yeah but they were always in they were into that like so they were always into this artistry um they traveled to africa every mm-hmm. year in the summer which for black americans in the 80s and 90s was not as popular as it is today So they were always, you know, on the go, they were always thinking and doing and exposing themselves to new forms of art. And Mm. podcasting wasn't a thing back then, but they did listen to talk radio. Um, And I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My Mm. parents mostly worked, but you know, no one in my family at the time were, were, were scientists or were into science. And so, I was very competitive in school science fairs. I was very interested in science and math because it was the only thing that made sense to me. I think Mm -hmm. what I didn't realize that I realize now is that at a very early age, English and literature and history didn't make sense to me. I didn't connect to it. And part of it was that unlike math, it wasn't as logical, it was very subjective, right? Like right. the history we were taught, we're like, is very selective of the history <laughs> that was chosen to be taught to us, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized now why I wasn't interested in it. I used to say, I hated museums growing up. And like now I realized I didn't hate museums. I just didn't like going to all these museums that I couldn't like connect with or relate to. Yeah, science made sense to me. I was very competitive in science. And so I think I saw firsthand. Uh, a family, I was raised in a family where art, whether it be music, whether it be theater, whether it be film, was always a part of our lives, you know, and science, being a scientist in our professional lives, like my grandfather, he also had a PhD, but he was, uh, he had a PhD in social work, very different than science, but I do strongly believe his love for the arts made him a better public speaker, made him a better, you know, figure. Right. Known figure, you know, he was on Oprah one time, you know, he used to be mm. the president of a hundred black men, the national president of a hundred black men. So like he always, you know, kept the door open and wasn't just kind of confined to, I do this one thing. I can't bridge these things that I love into it. And I think when any person, any profession that you're in, when you bridge in multiple disciplines, it makes you so much better as an artist, as a scientist, as a public speaker, as a Mm. podcast host, whatever. Like you're able to bring all these different elements and things to the project. And so I I really think that in, in my family was really kind of what brought this together. And then, you know, I think New Orleans is just a very communal place. Um, Mm. Here, it doesn't move like New York. Everyone is constantly trying to form and keep connections with strangers, you know, to have something that's community based and for the community was also something very similar to the way that I grew up.
0: I think that's awesome to hear because uh, including myself, everybody has a path, but it's never just a straight path. To whatever it is they're doing, it's always these different influences. Whether it's your environment or um, an experience, a specific experience, and knowing you and knowing your work with this podcast, it makes sense. You know everything you said about your family and and culturally and um, you know academically, it all makes sense. And I think it's kind of made um, your podcast what it is, which is award winning. Uh, for just being great content. Now, you mentioned science projects. I'm going to guess that that's where your testing ground for your creativity uh, started.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Still to this day, I'm a very competitive person. So when it came to a science fair, this competition, I was always like, okay, what am I going to do that's going to be different than what everybody else is going to do? How am I going to take this to the next level? And, uh, science is a very creative process. Like scientists make discoveries from creativity, you know, like it took one scientist to mess something up to figure out that, Oh, we could do something else, you know, Mm -hmm. um, or one scientist to try something new to get to a point where we discover, you know, something as brilliant as gene editing. So I think that science, um, you know, science, is a creative process. When you're writing grants and you're proposing the questions that you're going to ask and experiments you're going to do, that's all creativity. And I think we do scientists and, and, and really children a disservice by not really acknowledging and using the word creativity when we talk about science.
0: I could see that. And, you know, again, your 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 work is proof positive to what you're saying. And, you know, that's that's dope because uh, I think can't remember what the hell I did for my first <laughs> science project. It's dope to see, or at least to envision you at that stage, at that age, doing that, being passionate about that enough to get to the point where you are in your career today. So, kudos to you. Thank you. I named my household plants after rappers. <laughs> okay, you don't have to tell me about that one.
1: Um. So. I, and this is when I was in New York, so I've actually fostered all these plants when I moved to New Orleans. But Mm -hmm. I had 18 plants, um, and all of them were were named after rappers. And so I tried to, like, match the names close to the scientific names. So, like, I had a Mm -hmm. Monstera Delirioso, a Delicioso it's called. So that Mm -hmm. one was called Most Deaf, you know. (laughs) <laughs> <Right>. and, um, <laughs> I propagated that plant several times to friends. So one of my friends, she calls hers baby deaf <laughs> uh-huh. and that's a big plant. And then I had a group of succulents. So it was three succulents. And so I used to call them a tribe called quest. Cause you know, there's like <laughs> three members, you know, right. Right. And then I had, um, a a set like these long beaded succulents. One of them had long locks and the other one had like the spiky hair, So I called those two Earth Gang. Earth
0: Gang, okay.
1: (laughs) The two guys from Earth Gang, um, Olu, and I forgot the other one's name. Then I had um, J Electronica, which was my elephant ear plant. Then I had Andre 3000, which was my big old um, Birds of Paradise plant. Hmm. And then I had a snake plant that was Kendrick unfortunately i I fostered him to my parents and they killed it oh no but i'm happy to say that the other plants are doing well oh, okay
0: parents.
1: other plants are thriving but yeah right. you know for me yeah it was just it was cool it was just like yeah i'm gonna and then you know when i came to new orleans and i started getting plants i stopped naming them but like i think um you know, once I finish, I'm in the process of finishing a house and stuff. Once I finish the house and I start, you know, getting my plants again, I think I'm going to go with female rapper names, you know? Okay. It's a little okay. bit more challenging because I realized when I did all the, I had one plant name, no name, but like outside of that, all of my plants were named after male rappers. So, you know, with the rise of female rappers, I got to, I'm going to have yeah. to switch it up and do that.
0: Yeah, show the ladies some love.
1: Right. Right.
0: All right, so let me um really quick ask you about the process of creating this project, right? You you uh, got this look from Spotify, and and now you have to create you know this podcast, but you actually went on to to make it even more than I guess what you initially thought it would be. Uh, I mean, you had a crew, you had two seasons, you won an award. Talk to me a little bit about the process of not only being the producer or the creator of this show, but also as a host and making that adjustment into uh, that side of things.
1: I had never been taught all the different pieces and people that go into making a podcast like a highly produced, you know, Spotify or um, uh, WNYC or what's the, you know, like these big podcasts that are backed by these huge networks. So I didn't know like what I needed. I knew I needed a producer. Right, And right. <laughs> I had a producer but then I didn't realize like the things that we were doing. I needed an assistant producer. I needed someone who was a writer. I needed someone who was an audio producer. I needed an audio engineer. I needed a um a fact checker, which a lot of podcasts don't have fact checkers, but because we're a science documentary-style podcast, we definitely need fact checking. <laughs> right, uh, right. We have so, in the second season, we have so many guests and so many elements coming into one. I also needed a um, a showrunner, just someone to, like, organize and, like, <laughs> keep track of the guests and keep track of the timelines and, like, make sure that we were on schedule. It was almost like... When, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and they talk about how they were having these screen, I mean, uh, table readings every week—and all the stuff that goes into making a show weekly, a TV show weekly, let alone something that's just audio. So right. I learned a lot about all those mo- moving pieces. And to be honest with you, I now know it's, it's a full-time job and can be a full-time job. And I learned a lot. You know, I had to fire somebody for the first time. That was really hard. Mm. Um, I always wanted to be a leader, or I could consider myself a leader, but I never wanted to be a micromanager or a slave driver, or, you know, didn't want to create an environment where people didn't feel community and feel like they wanted to work together. And so I think that was something that. I realized that when it came to the podcast, not to not to overthink and not to make this a bad experience, because at the end of the day, we're a group of creatives that work together and we work together so well because we enjoy each other. And right. so I never wanted us to lose that. We um, have had a couple of retreats with each other like we keep it very like communal and social. And bring everybody's unique, creative, artistic expressions to the project.
0: To your point, when you're playing in the same field as an NPR or iHeart or any organization that has teams for each podcast, they hire teams of people yes. to run each podcast. That's a lot to keep up with when it's just you. You know what I'm saying? Running it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I commend y'all all for uh for 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 the work because um I you know, I remember a lot of the questions you would ask me in the beginning, um, of, of what you needed and you know and, and how to do, and you did a lot of the footwork yourself along with your full time job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I know <laughs> was, was crazy. <laughs> What was what was that like? Because I mean, you mentioned all those things. You said it's like a full time job. At any point, did you feel like it was getting in the way of of your basically your nine to five as a scientist?
1: <sighs> um, Yeah, it was hard. So I had a schedule where basically I worked nights and weekends on the podcast. Hmm. I would work nights, weekends, and very early mornings, um, as long as I could, and it it is a full time job um you know it's impossible i think to to be able to could have a podcast a weekly podcast that's you know always in season and a full time job would be i mean at least without more help would be right. very hard to do so it it was it was difficult also you know dealing with the challenges of like you know I, I think a lot of people assume that you do a podcast or you do some creative project that that's what you want to do. Like, you don't want to do your nine to five. You really just want to be working on your creative project. For mm-hmm. me, actually, it wasn't true. I enjoy my job in being like a scientist. I have zero desire to quit being a scientist to become a full time podcaster or writer. You know, um, I very much so want to live in a world where I can do both. And so, managing that time and, and being kind to myself, where I might have seasons where I'm going to be so deep into work that I won't have time to work on a podcast. And I'll have seasons where it's a little bit lighter where I can dedicate more time to the podcast. So, it's just kind of like figuring out that balance. And to be honest with you, I still haven't fully figured it out yet. But knowing and staying truth to that, because I think. Even in corporate America, you do any type of diversity work. They're like, oh, let's put you in a diversity role. And I'm like, I don't about <laughs> right. diversity and inclusion except for my experience, you know, as a person. So I think that was also that was also another thing, you know, just trying to make sure everyone understood that, like, I love this, but this is not the only thing I want to do.
0: Right. Now, with that said, and again, congratulations, but you are starting a family. What? Because I've I've already interviewed a couple of people, um, some with little ones, some with kids that are getting a little older, um, and and them finding different ways to either balance everything or or put some things to the side in order to take care of family first. What What do you think that looks like for you uh, going uh, forward?
1: You know, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> You know, I've done a lot of life events in the last year. Like, you know, I joke and say life came at me fast, but it did. Um, I moved to New Orleans with the intention of remodeling and buying a house, which I did, and I'm at the last stage of that. So, I'm doing that and then I met my amazing husband, you know, and fell in love, and, you know, we did not expect for our relationship to grow as fast as it did. But Mm -hmm. it did. And so we planned a wedding and got married and got pregnant all like in the same six months. (laughs) So (laughs) everything has taken a significant back burner on the professional side of things. Like, one thing I was also supposed to do when I moved to New Orleans was to write a book. You know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to write a book. And I still have plans to do all these things. I think, you know, for me being. More mature, older person who's doing these life events, you know, post 35. I'm trying to give myself a little bit of grace and the fact that, you know, I've spent my whole life prioritizing my professional career and the things that I wanted professionally. And I've done a good job at accomplishing and getting those things. I'm treating this as just a different season. And so, right now, my personal life and growing a family and, you know, being a, a mother and wife and a good partner is what's most important to me now and and this is something that you know like you say your kids now you you said you said one of them is 16 but it feels like you're done already because it's so quiet in the house right 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 and you shift those seasons when you can but i'm sure when they were zero to five it was a different (laughs) story
0: (laughs) absolutely
1: so i'm just trying to remind myself that you know this is a, this is a season and this is a new chapter and this is something I've never done before. And I've looked forward, just look forward to this just as much as I did when I first started my career in science. So when I first ran my first marathon, you know, it's just like another huge life achievement yeah. that has a completely different angle, a completely different experience, a completely different, like, you know, life-changing feeling to it that can't be replaced. And these things happen on their time, right? Like this is not something that right. I can tap out and say, Oh, I don't want to run the marathon this November. I can do it next November, like hella high water, this baby's coming in three weeks. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, right. This is
1: gonna be what it's gonna be.
0: <laughs> nah, you are absolutely right. And I I think honestly, um, it's kinda like poetic for your career and your creativity because it's it's almost as if it's gonna give your um your content, whether that's your book, or the next season of your podcast, uh, even deeper perspective, because you'll be a mom, and and, and, and you're a wife, and, you know, you're taking a break to live life a little bit. And that'll give you um, a deeper perspective on, especially with your content, um, on the things you're doing and how to connect with people. So
1: you know, it it wasn't ideal. Like in a perfect world, I want to be able to like put out a new season of the podcast and push a baby out in the same season. (laughs) No way. (laughs) The old me would have tried to do all of that. And like, now I'm just realizing like some of these things are, can only happen at certain times. But then also, you know, as we talk so much about now, mental health is such a big thing. Like, how do I prioritize my mentals to be the best person? Cause there's no sense in me making a season if it's going to be, you know, there's no Mm -hmm. sense in me writing a book if it's going to be kind of rushed and not good. So like, let me do the things that will, let me do things in my time in the time that it needs to happen. That will be, you know, something that I'm proud of. And right now that, you know, that right now that's, you know, parenting and motherhood and, um, partnership and you know different sides of things but everything I do and I'm sure I'm sure you feel the same way like I want to give it my best you know I want to give it my best I don't want to spread myself too thin and part of giving it my best is like not overcommitting and just like being real with myself about that
0: absolutely now before I let you go if you had a dream scenario or a dream project what would that project B, exactly.
1: Mm. I would do another season of the podcast for sure. Mm. Um, And I would probably make the podcast more uh, a continual thing where we don't have these large gaps in between seasons where we Mm. have, you know, 20, 30 people working on the show. I'm there, you know, as the host, but with much less commitment so that it's, you know, doable, Then I would start, I would do some type of docu-series that was around genetics, around our history, like similar to the podcast, but more on, more, I'm trying to think of a docu-series that is like this, because like when we think about genetics and history, it sounds very dark. And the one thing we do well on our show is making it light. So something that feels light, that feels entertaining, that feels engaging, that is about genetics, but also just telling the stories of how we came to America, but Mm -hmm. through the lens of science. So, you know, let's talk deeper about skin color and how skin color is created and how skin color eventually became race. Like, let's tell those stories, but not, like, so dark that it's just like, oh, I'm watching trauma porn about slavery, you know?
0: Right, (laughs) right, right. I
1: don't want it to feel like that, you know? I want it to have, like, a nice, like, good music feel like a Bruce Riley production Mm. or, um, like, you know, some musical elements, um, some really nice visual elements like Atlanta, the show, you know like i wanted to be just beautiful so i would definitely branch into some type of like docu series that will play on you know your favorite streaming service and really kind of not be this sad slave you know slave trauma thing but right. also you know funny and light and just like black as hell and just full of like <laughs> right. Culture, like like I mean you think about it. Like I could even do something like genetics and music in a docu-series where we could talk about how what are the African influences and in all these subgenres of music that black people have created in America alone.
0: In America oh, alone, yeah. In America right.
1: alone, you got bounce music, you got go-go music, you got house music, you got all these different sub-genres of black music in a small radius in one country. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you could do this in Africa too. Like you could make so many different, you know, just about music and the connection of music to science. We have a really good episode in season two where we kind of start called Rhythm and Blackness, where we talk about like, do Black people have more rhythm than other groups of people? And in that episode, we learn a lot about how we hear, how we respond to the things we hear. (laughs) Let's think about these early interactions between European colonizers and African music from a neurological perspective.
0: What does it take for us to even be able to hear something, right? So something in the physical world vibrates. It makes some kind of disturbance in air pressure. And those sound waves travel, hit our eardrum, our eardrum starts to vibrate. Somehow that then is turned into like electrical activity in the inner ear that goes to our thalamus. And then we have this experience of hearing
1: We know that human beings are 99.9% the same genetically. We also know that vibrating sounds of traditional African drum produce two very different reactions in people of African descent and of European descent. So it's worth exploring, what are the genetic components of neural pathways and the ability to hear? Those would be like really huge parts of whatever my dream project is. But listen, you know, if you ever know anyone who's trying to give me a couple million, let me know because I want to do it.
0: Yeah. No, look, trust me. If I find this person after I get my bag, I'll be like, Hey, yo, come over here real quick. We got some science and genetics happening over here, you know, throw some money that way. But you know what though? I, I love, I love your ideas because, um, just speaking about me personally as, uh, Uh, content consumption uh, nut, but only when it comes to sports or things I truly care about, I am turned off by, uh, you know, slavery movies and and Mm -hmm. recounting trauma, you know what I mean? And I like to learn. And I think when you point Mm -hmm. things like that out uh, in that way about our genetics, about music um, or whatever it may be, skin color, whatever it may be, in the way you describe, to me, that's more interesting and that's more educational to to everyone uh, and not just Black folks. So hopefully someday you get to realize that on uh, on any level.
1: Yeah, no, nah, I'm excited. Now I got to ask you, what would be your dream project?
0: Oh, see, now this is what y'all Black folk not going to do, okay? Y'all keep turning the questions on me. <laughs> honestly i I don't I could think of a ton of things that I would do um mm-hmm. probably first and foremost, I would love to just have a production company that funded ideas like yours and and others um, uh-huh. that are not exclusively right because we're not leaving anybody out but primarily produced and written and uh and distributed through black folk well, Dr. Janina Jeff. <laughs> thank you for joining me
1: No, thank you for having me
0: Dr. Janina Jeff is a scientist and international award winning podcast host the PhD in human genetics from Vanderbilt University she was featured on the 2020 list of 100 most influential African Americans by the root you can find out more about Dr. Jeff by clicking on the link in the description of this episode My Little Podcast is produced by yours truly, your host, steve Ann Smith. This podcast is available on all podcasting platforms. So, subscribe, review, and share it with people you know would enjoy this kind of content. Remember, stay productive and follow your passion. Peace.